Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello friends, I'm your host, Chris Thrill. I'm a former Royal Marines Commando. I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Theo, how are you, brother? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me on. <laughs> no, well, thanks for, for coming to chat. It's uh, it's great. And you're over there in Korea, of all places. Yeah, I am. Uh, it's actually getting a lot better here because the whole uh, virus thing is going away. So our restrictions are getting a little bit better. So, yeah, it, it's not too bad. It's getting nice and warm, too. How's everything over there? Yeah, we're still on uh, what they call lockdown. I'm sure you know <laughs> know a bit about that. Um, yeah, yeah. Doesn't really affect me too much because I work from home anyway, and we can go and get a bit of sun. We've got a garden outside, so it. I, and you know, I just military mindset. You've got to make the best of things, haven't you? And try not to complain. Yeah, yeah. It's easier, especially when you're a YouTuber. You can sort of find things to do, sort of help you out. Yeah, there's. There's not enough time in my day, Theo. I wish the days were 48 hours. I, I really, really do. Yeah, I feel you, for sure. Where, where are you from back home? So I'm originally from New Jersey. Um, if you're not familiar, it's like uh, pretty much by New York. It's very city, sort of urban. Uh, not a big fan of it. It's just because the whole city life gets a little too much. Being in the military, I can definitely appreciate having like space, just being around nature a little bit more, so. Korea is pretty good about that, unless you go to Seoul. Then it's just it's just crazy. I've been in New Jersey in 1990. Show my age now. I said I had uh, <laughs> that was four years before I was born. Yeah, well there we go. I had Christmas in New York and uh, Christmas and New Year, and and we popped over to New Jersey. And I've um, spent timing a, a little bit of time in Korea. I won't talk about that now but mm. how how does an american from new jersey end up in korea so definitely not by choice i tried avoiding korea orders as much as possible as is everyone else in the military uh, but it, it kind of just once you get to be like a certain point in the military they'll just force you to an overseas assignment um, but yeah uh, i was in the marines just a little background for myself i was in the marines for five years from 2012 2017 uh, switched over to Army Infantry, and I've been trying to rock with this. A little more opportunities, and yeah, I was in Louisiana, and then they sent me here. And you know, you, I, I'm I'm sure you know you sort of have to make the best of it. So it's pretty nice. I can't really complain too much. We got the cherry blossoms right now, so there's that. Wow, that's the nice. tree. That's the trees for people listening, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Beautiful flowering trees that they have in these parts of Asia. And um, I've been to the demilitarized zone. I think I mentioned that in our in our emails. Um, yeah. 
And that was a fascinating experience. So for people listening, the north of Korea, it's like a Korea is like a peninsula. The north is what you you guess you say communist. So so controlled by um, well, under the sort of same system as China. Yeah, avoid that part. Yeah. And the south is kind of uh, Western, let's just call it that. I don't want to say free and all that use word, loaded words, but let's just say it's kind of, you know, Western. Um, and then you've got this, is it the 37th parallel? The, the 38th parallel. 38. Yeah, close enough. Well, it's not close enough. <laughs> if, you, if you live there, you'd, you'd be fur- furious with me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, probably. I mean, I'm sure that the South Koreans would be a little bit happier if it was the 37th. Yeah. But... And um, yeah, we could be content. And of course, this was what the Korean War was fought over. If I'm right, yeah, exactly. So basically, towards the end of the Korean War, um, they basically pushed everything to the 30th parallel, and then they did the armistice there. So technically, we're still at war. The uh, South and North Korea are still at war. So that's why we maintain uh, presence here in Korea. So I mean, it keeps us busy. It keeps us on our toes. I mean. North Korea the other day, I think it was like three days ago, just launched some ballistic missiles. So it's always interesting to see the alerts on our phones and whatnot. Yeah, oh, I bet it. I bet it is. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's nothing crazy right now. And are sure. you are you in the demilitarized zone? Or, or? Uh, no, so I'm at Camp uh, Casey. So basically, you have a bunch of different camps set out throughout the peninsula. Um, the, the closest to the demilitarized zone is the joint security area. And that has its own little detachment of, uh, infantry, uh, soldiers actually. And Camp Casey is just south of that. So yeah, we're, we're not necessarily the first line of defense, but, uh, yeah, we're still pretty close a few miles away actually. But yeah, we went up there. It was pretty cool. And what's your role now in the army? Yeah, so I'm still infantry right now. It's sort of like an instructor role. So I'm training a bunch of different people, working working with a bunch of different units. So, I mean, I kind of like it because I get to instruct. It's a little more chill. It's got a better schedule. Um, and I don't have to train as much as the other soldiers do as far as going out in the field and everything, which is going to be nice, especially for the summer. What do you instruct in? Is it weapons or something? Yeah, so weapons is basically uh, small infantry tactics. So we have something called level 10 tasks, and that's basically what I'll be doing. So level 10 tasks is like the most basic of basic infantrymen uh, tasks. I mean, even even pokes, or I think you all call them remfs, uh, basically it's stuff that they can do as well. So we'll go to not just infantry units, we'll go and talk to uh, other pogue units as well and sort of teach that just to make sure everyone's fun up. What does pogue mean? mean? I know what remf mean, rear, rear echelon mother... <laughs> I don't want to say the word because YouTube will demonetize me, but uh, it's basically the people in the rear with the gear who are not fighting on the front line. Uh, Pogue, does it stand for anything? Yeah, it's a personnel other than grunt. There's a bunch of different, um, I guess you can call it down. You can break it down a bunch of different ways, but it's basically personnel other than grunt, um, which is, I guess, a little bit nicer than calling them remps, but even still. (laughs) I don't think most pogues nowadays know that they're being called pogues. Wow. And (laughs) when you're instructing, is it these guys you're instructing or or are you working with the Korean army? 
No, so we do have um, Korean uh, soldiers working with us. They're called Katusas. Uh, I think it's Korean augment to the U.S. Army. So basically, if you're in the Korean Army, you can uh, volunteer to be a Katusa, which it's a little bit better for them. They get more free time. They get more holidays. They get more rights in general. Um, but yeah, they can come work with the U.S. Army. And they basically have a bunch of Katusas throughout all the different units. So it'll be a mix of uh, soldiers, um, sometimes rock Marines, and rock is uh, Republic of Korea. So rock Marines and then these Katusas as well. Mm. So it'll be what, a little bit of a mix. And what, what is the name of your army outfit, your regiment now? So I'm part of a second ID, which is second infantry division. Um, basically, second infantry division has been here since the 50s. And it's been kept active. Uh, it's sort of like a, we have a rotational unit that comes in and supports us. But basically, we fall under them. Uh, we'll be tasked out to go to other different units and do training with them. But, yeah, I think it's, it's preferable to actually being in the rotational units. The rotational unit is just normal infantry divisions from the states coming in every nine months. And it's kind of a hassle for them because they don't get to go off post. They can't really get a car. They can't really do anything. Uh, anything fun so i guess i got the the best of the the two evils how long theo did you spend in the marine corps yeah so i spent five years um the normal contract in the marines is four years uh but i volunteered for five so i could do it's called security forces which uh basically if you're infantryman you can do security forces and that's guarding submarines uh, or in my case i was part of a close quarter battle team and we're basically like a reactionary element on the uh, nuclear submarine base. So, yeah, five years total, switched over to the Army in 2017. Mm -hmm. Is that in Norfolk, Virginia, or is that another place? So we do have a lot of naval installations in Norfolk. Uh, we have a weapon station just outside Norfolk. But, uh, no, the one I was in was in Georgia. It was pretty much on the border of Georgia and Florida. And it's pretty nice. The weather was pretty moderate. Um, when you go off the actual base, it was nice because uh, like the, there's not a whole lot of military built up around it because it's such so small of a base that you kind of forget you're in the military when you go off post. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty, it was pretty nice. And working with submarines is pretty interesting too. Those things are crazy. Did you go on board the submarines much? I did once. Uh, so they offered tours. They basically bring the submarine in a, a dry dock so they flush out all the water so you could see like the entire submarine. And when it was there, they would open it up for tours. Um, and as part of the security force, I guess it's good to know the submarine if you need to go in at any point. But yeah, it was cool. We got to go inside. It was pretty, pretty tight. I would definitely wouldn't want to be a submariner myself because I, I mean, I can understand why they're so weird being confined in such small places. Here's the thing though, Theo, right? In Britain, I've been on a submarine. They are tiny inside. I cannot emphasize that enough. <laughs> the the yeah. driver's seats for, you know, the cap, where the captain or whoever's on the periscope is sitting, it's like a de two dentist chairs. That's, that's all it is, right? Yeah. But you guys do everything four times bigger than we do. Your aircraft carriers... They dwarf out. They make ours look like a little destroyer or a frigate or something. So I'm, I'm guessing your submarines are still cramped, but not as cramped as ours. 
Yeah, it's definitely manageable. I would say even for like the biggest Marines, it was pretty easy for them to walk around. But it, it was to the point where the Submariners have to do, they call it a hot rack. So basically uh, they, ha- they work in shifts and you'll have some Submariners that will sleep. They'll get off shift and someone else will go and sleep in the same bed that they just slept in. So you don't necessarily get that that private space that you're you're used to on like a normal ship or even in the barracks. So that yeah, could they, be a hassle for sure. And they can be underwater for months doing that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to do it. I would probably get a little stir crazy. <laughs> and did we? Did you have um, your M16 to do that job? Um, so I. I had an M4. The normal guard force had M16 A4s, um, but on the CQB team, we had M4s with uh, Beretta pistols, which was a little bit better for our job for, like, close quarter battle because doing, doing CQB with an M16 is a real pain in the butt. But, yeah, it wasn't bad. We had uh, M4s and uh, Red Dots. Because so. you're limited the way you can move it, right, because you're in confined spaces. <laughs> Yeah, you basically have to walk through the, the actual doorway and then lift your weapon up. Trying to like maneuver a 40-inch rifle through a doorway is kind of a pain in the butt. <laughs> I, I actually did the, I did the same job. Um, I, we, we protected the weapon systems on HMS Invincible, which is one of our aircraft carriers. Okay. And, uh, so I was on there, and we had our Browning pistol, which is our, our sort of equivalent. I I'm guessing the Brett is probably a a, a better weapon because they use it in all the movies, don't they? <laughs> well, there's a big debate about that. You're talking about the 45 caliber pistol. Is that what you had? Uh, well, we 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 it's metric, so it's a nine millimeter. But yes, it. Would oh, okay, be a- yeah. Oh, okay, so I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I would say the Brett is better. <laughs> I know what you're check, talking about. I'm gonna check my ruler, so. No, so um, I was—I th- thought you were talking about the 1911 pistol, but no. No, we, we, the traditional pistol of the British forces has been for a very long time uh, the Browning 9mm. It's okay. a very good pistol. It's uh, reliable. You don't get many stoppages, that kind of thing. Um, but it is quite dated now. It might even have changed now. I, I have no idea, to be honest. Was it, um, Theo, was it a difficult decision to leave the Marine Corps? Because that's like a real brotherhood. It is definitely a brotherhood, and it was definitely a big decision. Um, I definitely, because I started a family and everything, um, just being infantry Marine was kind of, uh, I don't know, it was just just a pain because the schedule was so unpredictable. So I wanted to get something with a little more opportunity to allow uh, my family just the, the comfort, I guess, of me actually being there and everything. Uh, it was a big, the biggest thing was leaving my buddies back in the Marine Corps. Um, but I was sort of weighing the pros and cons and I decided uh, against, against staying in. And I think it was a good move because um, I was a sergeant in the Marine Corps. Once you become a sergeant, staff sergeant, you do a lot more administrative stuff. It's not, a, it's not as fun as you like being a ground pounder and everything. Mm-hmm. And then also when you're a sergeant, they force you to do recruiting and drill instructor and everything. And I mean, some people will be all about being a drill instructor, but I just don't like screaming that much. Not, I'm, I'm not a huge people person as far as recruiting is going to be concerned. So I think uh, it was a good move. Where did you do your training for the Marines? 
Yeah, so um, there's two places you can go to boot camp, uh, which is like the initial 13 weeks to actually become a Marine. Um, so you can go to San Diego or Paris Islands in South Carolina. I went to Paris Islands uh, because it's sort of broken down East Coast, West Coast. I was in New Jersey, so I went to South Carolina. So I went to Paris Island for uh, 13 weeks. And then because of those infantry, you go to the School of Infantry in North Carolina. And that was two months. And then I also did a month of uh, security guard training. And, and that's, um, I mean, Paris Island is such a f- iconic name, isn't it? <laughs> it that's, is, yeah. That's like your full metal jacket kind of scenario. Yeah, for sure. Because it's, it's weird when you hear uh, a Marine like, oh, yeah, I went to boot camp in San Diego. It just doesn't carry the same sort of weight, you know, mm-hmm. especially people growing up seeing the movies and everything. So definitely going to Paris Island was, uh, was the move. I didn't really have a choice in the matter, but I'm glad I went to Paris Island, you know, and be a real Marine. I should <laughs> say for our friends watching at home, uh, Theo and I met. I've, I'm On the video, Theo, I'm going to put your combat combat arms channel underneath your your profile there um but we met through youtube i started watching some of your they call them reaction videos don't they yeah yeah it's a big genre on youtube for sure and it's cool because you can always offer some sort of input slightly different perspective on something so i guess it's it's interesting to see what some people have to say about certain things yeah you your your videos are great because for, for many reasons, but not least of which I've been so lucky over the years to meet so many wonderful Americans. And both both Britain and America get quite a bad rap out in the world now because of all the, 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 the conflicts um, mm. that, that we've been involved in. And let's just not I talk enough politics. <laughs> so let's let's not go there for today. Um, but. I, I I just always reiterate I've I've met really nice Americans and you guys are so generally speaking so humble and so polite and courteous and when I watch your videos and you're talking about the 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 you know it will be U.S. Marine reacts to the Royal Marines and and you're not. You're not like, hey, look at these assholes. Oh, that guy's a jerk. You know, oh, we do it, but we do it better than that. Or we, do, you, you're always like so uh, full of praise and and constructive criticism. And um, is is that is that kind of how you are? Is that your YouTube persona? No, so, so I definitely agree that there is a thing as a YouTube persona, um, but. Personally, my personality isn't that uh, developed for me to actually put on a, a persona for YouTube. No, but yeah, I've heard the same thing. Um, personally, I can't really speak for myself being humble or not. It's just one of those things that someone else has to decide for you. Um, but I do appreciate it when people put it in the comments. And I can definitely see how much, uh, you know, how, how annoying it can be to see someone who's not humble, who just has an ego. And I think generally for YouTube, if you have an ego and you're just constantly talking smack, you can only get to a certain point. So, uh, yeah, but for the YouTube perspective, it wouldn't be good for anyone's career to sort of be egotistical like that. But, I mean, I've, I've seen your videos as well, and it's cool because yours, yours are on, like, a completely different level because you talk about your bucket list, you talk about your story, 
And for me, it's, uh, I kind of feel like I'm cheating the system because I can just comfortably sit in my chair and just talk about videos that I'm watching. But for people like you who take it to a whole nother level, it's definitely, uh, you know, it deserves props and I can definitely respect the grind. Well, it's very, very kind you say, Theo. I'll I'll be honest, I'm just, I'm winging it, you know? I mean, uh, as you know, as I know, as we both knew when we went to the recruiting office, if you don't make your dream come true, no one else is going to do it for you. It's just that simple. So I sit down, I put that camera on one day, and I told a story of going to Antarctica. It was rubber. It wasn't edited. It was. Um, I think I, I. I. I didn't even have this backdrop. I I've got two of these maps in my office. I got another one up here, and I just took that and put it behind me for for a bit of backdrop and you know yourself when you go back to your first youtube videos and you look at them and you think oh my god i didn't know i didn't know about audio i didn't know i had an old 720 camera but um but here's the thing you don't need to you you just need to get a hook on youtube you don't need to be absolute if you're just putting out generalized content, it's got to be good because there's so much competition, right? So a podcast, I do a lot of podcasting. I try to make it the best I can because otherwise, you know, you, you people can watch Joe Rogan or they can watch other military podcasts, but to the other side of the, the, the coin, these just sit down get your laptop and get a video on and watch it and critique or, or react to it. As they say, you don't have to do any editing. They are massively popular. So much. So um, I'm going to, I feel like I'm sort of jumping on the bandwagon, but it, it's really not. It's just, I've got so much invested in this now and I spent so many time. I'm not going to fail. And as such, I'm going to look for different sort of areas and see, see what I can kind of combine with my, my channel, my channel style. Um, yeah. So yeah. Have you, have you learned a lot then watching these videos of foreign, foreign troops? Yeah. So it's, it's definitely interesting because it sort of opens your perspective as to what's actually out there and what people are actually doing compared to you. I mean, you can compare another YouTube video or another YouTuber with another YouTuber and like learn a lot from that alone. But when you're in the military and you can really look at all these different militaries, it's, it's crazy to see how some people can take things more seriously than others. And, you know, you get told that the United States Marine Corps is this awesome fighting force, but then you see a, a Marine who doesn't know how to camouflage and you see some, some random soldier in Finland who's perfectly camouflaged and it's like, where, where does that gap come from? So it's cool to sort of piece it apart like that, I guess. It's very interesting for me. What did, you, you, think? Of... What did you think? What did you think when you saw the Royal Marines? Okay, so this, I, I felt like almost embarrassed or even ashamed in a sense for, for me to have not known how serious the Royal Marines are. Um, having trained and worked with a bunch of Royal Marine commandos, um, I, I even got a, a Green Beret from one of them during close quarter battle school. So there's these times that I didn't really understand how much it meant for these guys to be working with us, how much it meant for them to actually be in that position. 
and to actually see that the, the sort of pipeline that, that y'all actually go through, it really opens my eyes as to, yeah, people think the U.S. Marine Corps is like tough because they're, they're a larger force and they're, you know, I guess more commercialized. But then you see these, these Royal Marine commanders that are just digging the dirt and really getting it. And I don't know, it's, it's annoying for me. I feel like the, the Royal Marine commanders deserve the same or if not more limelight than the U.S. Marines. So I guess doing my video sort of helps that out in some way or another. At least I, I hope it does. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I I did a video on I think it's called When the Royal Marines Met Met the USMC. It's called something like that. It's about the time I was on ship, we stopped in Italy, in Sicily of all places, and there's a big US air base down there called Siganella. Mm. It might be a naval yeah. it might be a, a naval I think it's a naval air station. And we hooked up with the, the, these Yank Marines and we just had such a great time. And as I said in my video, it's, there was, the competition just does not come into it. It's, if you're a Marine, you're a Marine probably the world over and, and it's a brotherhood and uh, it, was a, it was a special time. I guess, I, I don't know... Do, I guess that we do our commando phase to get the green berry make that is that that's what sets us apart from the, from, from you guys. Right. Yeah. So even more, you have, you have your PRMC. So it's like a selection before you actually go to the, the serious training and with Marine Corps boot camp, all you have to do is uh, pass like a, a smaller PT test when you're in the, it's called the delayed entry program. So it's basically when you're 17, you can sign up for the delayed entry program. And you just PT maybe like once, maybe once, twice a month. And it's not really, it doesn't require a whole lot of commitment, but the PRMC, you have to show up, you know, nicely, nicely dressed. You need to put a lot of effort just for that. And having that little selection process alone really helps weed out a lot of the, the people who really aren't serious about it. Because I could say in Marine Corps boot camp, there's definitely a lot of people that didn't take it as seriously as I felt they should have. So the selection process definitely does make a difference for sure. I guess you've got such a big country to, you know, protect that if you made it, if your Marines was like a 32 week training, like ours, maybe you just wouldn't be able to recruit the numbers. I, I, I don't. Yeah. Know. It, it is definitely a matter of quantity over quality. And I can definitely understand that the U.S. military has hard enough time trying to recruit people. Um, just pe Americans aren't really that interested in joining the military, so they have hard enough time. So um, they've been lowering the standards, it seems, especially in the U.S. Army. Uh, they've been opening up a little bit more, and uh, I don't know. I think it's just a step in the wrong direction, in my opinion. And um, I heard that in America, it's kind of the common thing that someone will do their four years in the Marines to save up the money to put themselves through college? Yeah. So I know with, uh, with my boot camp platoon, we had about a hundred, hundred recruits. Um, I would say 25% were there for the benefits of actually joining the military, because when you join, you get your, uh, you get tuition assistance while you're in. So basically uh, if you're, while you're in, you can go to school and they'll pay for it. 
and you also get your GI Bill, which is basically 36, 36 months of schooling that you can get for free. So a lot of people will definitely join for the benefits. Like for me right now, this the whole virus thing going around, I'm still getting a paycheck. Um, the work is a little more restricted, so I don't have to do as much. And I mean, even in, when you're in the military, you sort of take it for granted. But that definitely is a big thing why people join. And especially the U.S. Army. The U.S. Army, Army throws bonuses out like crazy. So you can get someone joining to be infantry for only three years, and they'll get a $20,000 bonus. So <laughs> it, it definitely goes to show that there is a, a, an issue with retention. And whatnot. Wow. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get any reenlistment bonus, so I'm a little bit salty about that, especially joining the Marines for five years. But yeah, I guess it's another like perk of being in the U.S. Army. Yeah. Did you, did you say salty? Yeah, yeah, salty um, as in disgruntled, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, normally when you're covered in salt, it means you've been somewhere near the sea, so I can kind of, you're wet and miserable. <laughs> I can kind of get that. Wet, miserable, and sore. <laughs> yeah. I think nope. salty carries a, a few different terms, but that's what Marines use it for. Do you? Do many U.S. Marines go on to join the SEALs? Is that a possibility? It is a possibility. Uh, however, if someone has the uh, propensity to join the, the Navy SEALs, they normally go to MARSOC. And uh, I have a few buddies actually went into MARSOC or, you know, the Marine Special Operations Command, our Raiders. Uh, and they just, either they love it or they hate it and they get out. So, Either they go into MARSOC and they love it and they stay in that, or they hate it and they just get out of the military completely. That's from what I've seen. Um, I don't know anyone personally who's joined the SEALs. I've worked with a a bunch of um, Navy SEAL drops on my CQB team uh, because they just wanted to do something a little bit more high speed, so they tried out for that unit. And, yeah, I I mean, I I love those dudes. There, like anyone who who is willing to go and try out for Navy SEAL, go to actually uh, Buds is what the school is called. Uh, you, yeah, they're usually spot on. They're awesome dudes. So yeah, really, wow. I can't talk highly enough. Yeah, they've kind of got quite a high profile these days, haven't they? They. <laughs> yeah, not really for the best reasons either. <laughs> There's a lot of controversies going around too. Wow, I mean. Uh, yeah it goes with it's the nature of the job i guess but well obviously the thing about um allegedly shooting bin laden is um put them in the limelight then there was the was it the chopper it it had seal team six obviously it didn't have all of seal team six aboard but it had quite a few operators and it got um it crashed in afghanistan or it got shot down yeah, there was a few incidents like that, actually. Uh, I know even in uh, MARSOC, they had a helicopter go down, and a lot of their operators were killed. But, yeah, you'll hear stuff like that happen all the time. Um, when I was going through my helicopter insert and extract school, our helicopter, the CH-53, actually crashed because the tail rotor had gotten disconnected at some point. So, it basically, it just spins to the ground. So, there's a lot of... Um, quality control issues in the Marine Corps, especially with the aircraft. Were you on board that chopper? So I was underneath it. Uh, We were doing repels, and when you're doing repels in a non-tactical environment, you have a belayman, which is underneath the ramp. So we were doing uh, probably 50-foot repels, 
and I'm just there trying to make sure there's uh, not any slack in the rope. And the tail just whips left. And then I thought it was just turning because of the headwinds. Um, so I was starting to run with the helicopter itself. And then I was looking at the nose of the bird coming down. So I'm like, no. So I let go of the rope. And I, I must have sprinted like 50 meters in like two seconds is what it felt like. But, yeah, it was not a fun time. Was anybody hurt? Yeah, we had uh, one Marine passed away. Uh, he actually fell off of the ramp, and he didn't pass away immediately. We rushed him to the hospital and everything, but he had too many injuries. Um, and then a bunch of people have had broken, uh, broken backs. We had about 12 Marines that were still on the helicopter itself. And then uh, we also had a recon Marine who was trapped under the ramp, and we had to help him out. So Were you okay? Yeah, that does... Go ahead. Were you, were you okay about that afterwards? Did it affect you? I was fine. It's just, it, it, it kind of pissed me off in a way, just because uh, you'll hear about a lot of good Marines passing away just because of training accidents or faulty equipment. And it, it, it just, it doesn't help the, the pokes because you have the infantrymen who are doing all this stuff and their equipment fails because someone, you know, who's not an infantryman didn't do the maintenance. So it's hard to fight against that stigma. Uh, I mean, I mean, I'm pretty good about it now, but yeah, it, it's definitely unfair for that stuff to happen when you're not even deployed, you know? Yeah. So, Can we talk about um, the USMC training then? Because I think a lot of my subscribers will find that fascinating. And I know I will. Yeah, sure. Um, specifically like boot camp or like advanced training. Well, Let's talk about the boot camp because that's quite iconic from the movies, right? <laughs> and yesterday, I, I've come across this um, video. I'm going to do a reaction to it. Um, okay. It's it's basically the new fresh recruits. I'm guessing it's Paris Island. I'm, I haven't watched it long enough yet, but they're turning up on the bus, and the instructors, mm. the drill instructors, have come to meet them and. I did the impression of the way these drill instructors are to my little boy yesterday, and he was laughing his ass off. Well, all three of us were just, la I was I was doing the jumping around <laughs> and getting in my little boy's face and, right, Marine! <laughs> and now, yeah, even after like two months of being in boot camp, it's funny. It's funny to the recruits too. <laughs> they were actually bouncing around the room and in your face, then up to this guy in his face and then, you know, dressing this guy down and then lecturing this guy. And we, 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 we didn't really... We didn't really have that, you know, in your face kind of stuff. Yeah, I guess it's just, it's their way of just, uh, it's called stress inoculation, which is basically doing a bunch of stuff under stress to help you sort of maintain your composure and everything. Um, I would agree with it in some senses, but I think the Royal the Marines do it better in the sense that they do it 
relatively calmly or at least explain things and will teach you things as opposed to just, you know, crappily teaching you and then running through all this stuff. But boot camp um, was interesting for sure. It's sort of a culture shock, especially if you're not used to having, I didn't have a job before I actually went to boot camp. Um, so actually having like a, a schedule and everything was pretty weird because I can only really compare that to school. Uh, but it's definitely memorable. I do remember myself being on that very same bus and everyone, it was just dead quiet. Like no one's saying a thing, no one's excited or laughing anymore. Um, Cause you go to the airport, everyone's joking around and then you get on the bus to Paris Island and it's like three hours. So it's just like, it's three hours of just dead silence. They come on, they, they start yelling at you. I was the person in the front of the line holding a stack of like uh, documents and everything while I was standing on the yellow footprints. So you sort of picture it happening in a different way, but yeah, it's definitely memorable. Um, it, it, boot camp is one of those things. Uh, it was hard for some people. Me personally, I knew I wanted to join the Marine Corps for uh, since I was age 10, really. So I was totally devoted to it. And it, it's just, it takes, it's just tedious because you have to get used to the schedule and everything. Mm-hmm. It's not really difficult, especially physically. Um, there's not a whole lot of um, stuff you have to do because you're going through Marine Corps boot camp with a lot of people who aren't even going to be infantry. So you're sort of held on the same standard already, um, which I didn't agree with. I feel like if you're going to be infantry, you need that that shock and those, that physical fitness from the start. So it was a little bit of a letdown physically. Um, and some of the, the way that some people actually handle boot camp is kind of, um, I, I, it's just, People would be crying at the end of the day. Uh, people would be like freaking out. Some people would try and get, they would just try and straight up quit. So it's weird having like the mindset of, yeah, I'm totally devoted to this. This is definitely what I want to do. And then you have people who just want to quit after like being there for even a month. So uh, yeah, I have, I have various opinions on boot camp, but it was pretty, pretty simple. Can you explain the difference then? Um, what what the initial boot camp entails, and you you mentioned was it an advanced camp? Yeah, so advanced training. Um, that's just uh, for any job that you're in, you'll have advanced training. So in the infantry, you have um, advanced infantry course or AIC, uh, and that, that's definitely what you would picture when you're talking about like you know when you picture an infantry man, you picture them sucking, you picture them you know doing all these awesome skills and whatnot. And that's really where, when all that comes into play, when you go to that advanced training, but everything on a basic level is usually kind of a letdown if you're, if you're a bit of a try hard. (laughs) And during that advanced phase, is there a lot of physical challenges as well? Like the marching and the speed marching? Yeah, so uh, the advanced infantry course is, um, it's after boot camp, it's after school of infantry, it's usually when you're at your first units you'll have to either try out or volunteer for this. Um, but yeah, there is definitely a lot more uh, marching. Uh, usually daily you would march to some sort of training events like land navigation. You'd have to march out to that. Uh, it, it's nice how they sort of work all that in with your schedule. Instead of going to do like taking a bus there, you would hike there. And it's definitely more akin to what infantrymen would actually be doing, you know, especially if you have a, a change of mission or what have you. What, um, at what point then marks the fact you've become a U.S. Marine? 
like we obviously get our green berry and that's what everybody dreams of yeah yeah so there's uh it's you get your eagle globe and anchor which i don't have mine here it's actually back in the states uh, but it's a little black marine corps emblem that you get you get that after the crucible uh, which is the 12th week of training in boot camp. And that's basically uh, roughly 54 hours of you just being kept awake. Um, you have maybe like one or two MREs throughout it, and you're constantly doing a lot of movement. So that that was uh, strenuous for sure for a lot of people. For me, um, again, because I was so committed to it, it was sort of just like I was excited to be doing all of this. Like I know once I'm done, you you go from like a – it's like a 12-mile hike. You do a 12-mile hike into the ceremony, so everyone's all sweaty. They have their rifles, and then they get it. So it, it was definitely cool how they do that. Um, but even still, it wasn't, it wasn't crazy difficult. When you hear the crucible and you're, you're about to go to Marine Corps boot camp, you're, like, excited and worried about it. But when you're going through it, it's, it's pretty simple. Mm. You're, you're just tired. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And yeah. – See, you guys have had women in the Corps for quite some time now. Yeah, I think the first female Marine was in 1918. Um, And all the female Marines will get trained at Paris Island. So Paris Island gets a bad rap because there's female Marines there. But the fact of the matter is, is you'll never, like, talk to them unless you're going to church. And you, you can maybe do that for, like, an hour. So there's complete separation nowadays um they're sort of experimenting with trying to put them together which i don't really agree with uh it's just too much of a distraction so i think the way they did it worked very well you would see them in passing and you wouldn't ever really interact with them what roles do they go on to do yes so now they can they can be infantry um i think that was that started in 2017 uh and my infantry battalion was actually the first to get the first three female infantry marines we can't call them infantrymen anymore so you call them infantry marines uh, but normally they would be uh in in pogue units so like communications logistics and whatnot uh, but female marines get a, a bad rap they have a nickname called the uh, wooks short for wookies so if you ever watched uh, star wars basically the big hairy dude chewbacca he's a wookie and that's what they sort of call female marines it's not too flattering but yeah is there a <laughs> it reason? is what it is i guess is there a reason? i don't i don't think specifically i'm not sure where the whole uh etymology of that came from um but it's mainly because they're usually pretty pretty rough because they're like more masculine females because it takes like a pretty masculine female to be a u.s marine i would say so I, I guess they just have that stigma associated with it. I haven't seen it too too strongly. It's just an unforgiving thing the Marines have. Did you say, Theo, that they could go into a combat role? Yeah, so um, I, so my first my troop time had the first three. Uh, it was not very successful. We had two that for I'm not really going to discuss the specifics, but yeah, they ended up getting kicked out of the Marine Corps for various reasons. Uh, but we did have one female machine gunner who was pretty squared away. She was cool like with hanging out with the dudes and drinking and partying and whatnot. And she didn't have too bad of a, of a stigma in the unit. So I, I guess it, it is a hit or miss with, with some people. 
Have they been in an active role in Afghanistan, for example? Yeah, so back, I'd say back in 2012, 2013, they had a lot of, um, I think it's called female engagement team or FETs. And it's basically, they weren't actually infantry uh, Marines, but they were in like a combat role, basically helping the infantry units to talk with the females of the different tribes and whatnot. So they were, they were a part of it in, that, in those regards. You had some military police units who would get engaged sometimes. Um, but yeah, infantry units now, if they do deploy to Afghanistan, there's no, they're not going to be like, okay, female infantry Marine, you can't, you can't go. It's all integrated now. What do you think then that the British Royal Marines now accept um, female applicants? So it was, I, I didn't actually know that the Royal Marine commandos had non-infantry jobs. I thought it was all infantry focused. Um, so I guess they could fit those non-infantry roles, but as far as being infantry and just opening up completely, uh, it, it is a hit or miss. Uh, I think it would be very hard for females, especially because your training pipeline is uh, much harder physically on the body, and females are just generally more prone to injuries, especially with the hips, because uh, we, had, we had a lot of studies done in the Marine Corps before we implemented this. And females would just get injured a lot more, mainly with hip problems. So I think that would definitely be a big issue. Mm. When you say non-infantry roles, can, can you give an example of what you're thinking of? Because um, uh, it's like when you pass out of training in the Marines, pretty much everybody goes to a commando unit. It, it's, we passed out with about 50 guys. We had a big troop because we had a lot of guys that had... Um, been what we call back troops from having injuries yeah. and and such and out of that 50 guys only one of them didn't go to a commander mm. unit he wanted to become a driver so mm. so uh yeah what did you mean by non-infantry roles so from my understanding y'all have uh different assignments as far as like being a driver and is being a cook an option for royal marine commandos yeah, although if you called them a cook, they'd probably punch you in the face. <laughs> That's totally fine. <laughs> they're, they're a sh chef, obviously, um, and they're very good. The military chefs are really, really, they're not. They're very nice people, and they, they just do their best for you, you know. Um, same in, yeah. the, in, in, in the Navy when you're on ship. But, um, yeah, you do all that, but you generally tend to specialize after you, say, serve maybe – three years on the front front line, you know, in a okay. unit, I mean. Um, gotcha. So it's not like if you're a female and you passed out of training, you could say, right, I want a desk job. <laughs> yeah, okay. Not really going to happen. Yeah, so I, it would definitely be an issue with injuries. Um, I mean, just male Marines in general um, are usually pretty good about just sustaining and pushing through injuries. Uh, in the army, not so much. People love just avoiding training because they're slightly injured. Uh, but for female, for females, it might be a little bit harder to push through, especially when you're talking about the hip. The hip is a big thing that will just knock you out of the service completely. I've seen a lot of people have hip injuries and they just get out and collect disability, which they prefer, you know, because they don't have to really do as much anymore. But that is definitely a thing that could be a problem. 
in um i just close on a couple of um couple more questions theo what what's kind of your toughest test in in the marines basic training do you have like we have our 30 mile speed march or mar- <laughs> march uh-huh. do you have anything like that any the- uh, so in the school of tree, you'll do um, a 12 mile, but it's all in, it's all in a group and it's pretty, you have, I think three hours to do it. So it's very manageable. You get a couple of breaks. So that's honestly like the hardest it'll go. I've done um, a selection to get onto my close quarter battle team. That was like definitely more difficult than anything I've done in school of tree and boot camp. But as far as just infantry training and Marine Corps boot camp, it's it's pretty simple. The, the furthest you'll you'll ever rock or hike is 12 miles, mm. and it, it doesn't even compare. <laughs> that so that's the thing. There's a big it, separation. But, it, but it's worth it. Two things I say there. First of all, 12 miles is nothing to sniff at. That's you know that's almost a half marathon. And let's be honest, most people on this planet will never <laughs> run it never run a half <laughs> in their life so it's That's quite con- it's quite considerable but also in your role it's different from ours in as far as you guys have got so much gear so you can just jump on a chopper yeah yeah i, I think definitely we do we use our helicopters for a lot we have uh, in the marine corps we have our ch 53 and our v22 ospreys so we'll do we'll use those for inserts and extracts all the time so that's why I went through uh, my helicopter course. It's basically so you can provide the company or battalion the ability to fast rope or repel Marines into something because, yeah, Marines aren't really a fan of walking with heavy weight for, you know, far distances. I don't think anyone really is, but what's yeah, your, we try trying to avoid it. What's your name for, we call it yomping, you know, for, for fast walking? What, do you yeah, know? I mean, it, it's just hiking. Um, you'll do, sometimes you'll do um, like a ruck run, which I guess is a little bit closer to to what you're referring to. But that's usually not very far. That's usually max five miles, six miles, and yeah, that'll be individual effort. And Theo, is and um, you look like you're in a one man room. There is that. Is that your bunk? Yeah, yeah, it's my barracks room. So. I actually have another room over here that's connected with uh, another door. So it's supposed to be two people, but because I've, I guess because of my rank, uh, I'm allowed to get this accommodation. But yeah, I remember when I was a, a Lance Corporal, it was not that nice. It was probably, it was a room this size, maybe a little bit smaller with two people in it. And you're, I didn't really have that much stuff. Are you, so. Did you say you're a Sergeant now or was that in the Marines? Yeah, so I was a sergeant in the Marines. Now I'm a staff sergeant, so it's uh, e- E6. So you go E1 to E9, so I'm an E6. Great. Yeah, so it's a little and bit nicer. Your family are back. Are they back in the States? Yeah, they are. Uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't able to take them. Uh, with Korea, it's a one-year assignment. So you basically just – it's kind of like a deployment. It's like, all right, I'll see you in a year. So that kind of sucks that they can't see Korea. But I get asked – an awful lot by people who've got uh family and children about you know should i join the marines and this kind of thing is it is it difficult being away from your family so i I would like to think that it gets easier um it doesn't really you kind of just get used to like getting into a rhythm 
Um, with me, I've done a lot of things to where I'm away all the time and I'll have to switch up my job and whatnot. So it, it does kind of get taxing, um, but you can definitely work through it. Uh, there's definitely ways to do it. The military, especially the U.S. military, is pretty good about, you know, providing those comforts and those opportunities for you to sort of connect with your family. Uh, there's a program where you can go in and record like you reading a book so you can send that to your kids and whatnot. So there's there's pretty good programs set up in place. But, wow, that yeah, sounds great. And of course, yeah. these days you have at least got social media. So it's not like my day where you had to write a letter. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think the hardest thing you need to worry about is just the time difference. Just doing that math. Yeah, yeah it's pretty course. easy. Of course. And how is it? Um, how is it being in Korea? Because I think it's fair to say, without being rude. Most of the Americans I've met around the world, they just tend to do the American thing and they have their American <laughs> food and they, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, it's not a criticism. I'm just saying that's, that's how it no, is. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Um, so you'll definitely see it with the, the younger soldiers. They'll, they'll definitely immerse themselves in the culture because you have some of the older people who just won't want to be a part of that. They'll try and just push you their year without really getting exposed to it. But I'm at the point where I think I can just I, – I want to take advantage of everywhere I go and just, like, being around the, the cherry blossom trees, going out and seeing stuff that I wouldn't normally be able to see in the States is, like, a luxury to me. For some people, it wouldn't seem that way. Um, but I think everyone is pretty good about it. And with the uh, the Catoosas, they definitely get a little bit Americanized as well as far as wearing the same clothes we have and doing the same stuff we like to do. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like crossbreeding almost. Have you, have you sampled much of the food over there? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm not a huge fish eater or rice eater or vegetables in general. I think that's just the part of being an American. Um, so I'm not a huge fan of it. Uh, there are some stuff that I've, I've found that I like, but yeah, I, I do try and stick to normal American cuisine, which is basically every, everywhere else. But I'm yeah, not a huge sure. for, not a huge fan of Asian food. And have you been <laughs> to the, are you guys, are, I mean, I rocked up in Korea. I think I was there two days. It was, that's another story again. But when I saw there was a tour, a bus tour to the DMZ, uh-huh. I just, I hopped on that. And as we were driving um, from Seoul to the DMZ, mm. the tour operator on the bus, this, this um, local woman said right who who would like to go to north korea <laughs> and i'm sat there as a passionate traveler and like nobody on the bus put their hand up and i just went yeah, yeah. i'd love to <laughs> i mean you know you you couldn't go to north i don't know how it is now i'm guessing it's only it's very strict but back then certainly nobody went to North Korea. You, it just didn't <laughs> happen, right? So we got to um, the DMZ. I met a few Marines and, and, and had a chat, and they showed us around. And it's very strange because you had the U.S. Marines this side of the border standing up to attention, staring in the eye of the <laughs> sen- century on the other side of the border, 
and they both uh, had orders. You're not allowed to lose eye contact with this. It was something really crazy like that. So these guys were stood just staring like as a matter of like, we're not going to lose face. We're going to keep this thing. And then they took us into the meeting room. So the official meeting room. Yep. First, we were showed the peace bridge where they signed the declaration on. So somebody um, from North, the North Korea delegates came and the delegates from the South and the US input. I think they signed the treaty on that peace bridge. And then they transferred, transferred prisoners across that, you know, prisoners of war across that bridge. And then we went in the meeting room and there was a table in the middle of the meeting room and it had microphones built into the table all the way along. And uh-huh. the, tour, the tour guide said, right, you see that line of microphones? That's the 38th parallel. That, that <laughs> is the line, right? Yeah. The Korean de- delegates, the North Korean delegates will come through this door. The South Korean and, and the US will come through this door and they will sit at that line and have their, you know, I just say peace talks, but they're sort of political talks. Uh, and then she turned and said, right, who wants to go into North Korea? She said, step over the line. So you stepped over the line and they had a guard on the door. And I think the guard on the door just to save uh, Agro was a South Korean soldier. And they got this stance, haven't they? They stand up to attention like this with their fists really like tightly clenched and you could go and stand next to the guy and have your photo taken i might even put it in this um in this video but <laughs> that's my claim to fame i've been in north korea <laughs> no that's awesome yeah the that's not really a possibility now i would say it's definitely better uh they got rid of weapons recently so they can't have weapons on the dmg anymore and the, the Korean guard that you'd always see on the other side, they nicknamed him Bob for whatever reason. For some reason, it was always the same guard. But he's actually not there anymore. And I'm not sure why they did that. Uh, I know there is a big swine flu outbreak there, so that's that might be part of the reason. But, yeah, you definitely can't go across it, especially being – I mean, I might be able to um, if I get on the tour. But if, if they know you're a U.S. soldier – then it's probably not going to be something you're going to be able to do. It would be very cool, though, so that's pretty awesome you got to do that. I mean, I, I don't, go ahead. No, 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 you go on. I mean, it would be cool to say I went to North Korea, but at the same time, people would probably ask a lot of weird questions after that. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you got left there? So about nine months. Yes, yeah, so I've been here for about three months. Uh, so it's going by pretty quickly. I can't really complain. We're staying busy. So there is that. The coronavirus, the, I, I don't even want to say it because YouTube might demonetize, but <laughs> okay. the virus thing going around. Um, yeah, it makes it a little bit harder to do anything, especially with the actual uh, local nationals here. But it, it is going by pretty quickly. Yeah. I just I would like to go out into Seoul and whatnot, but we can't do that right now. How long are you going to stay in the Army for now? I'm trying to stay in for my 20 and retire and just do another federal job because, uh, again, I haven't, I haven't had a job before the military, so I don't really know anything besides being in the military, especially infantry-focused stuff. 
So I'm like totally brainwashed in the sense that the military is totally for me. And I mean, I can't really complain all the benefits and everything, especially now I got a stimulus check and I'm still getting a normal paycheck. So that's pretty nice. (laughs) But Theo, it's going to come to a point and you're not that far away. I mean, you've got what, a hundred thousand YouTube subs? No, I'm I'm at about uh, 57, I think, maybe 56. Okay, so I mean, coming up for a hundred thousand, then you, you, yeah, you get to a point where you'll be making so much money off YouTube. What I mean is, you know, I, I when you start on YouTube, you really don't make much <laughs> much money. It's a lot of hard work, but uh-huh. obviously, there comes a point where you you've made this place for yourself on YouTube, and then the money does become regular and it and it can become quite a lot from what i understand and what what are you going to do when you reach that point yeah so it's definitely it's cool to actually see like uh, like decent money coming in because before i started my youtube channel back in 2008 and back in those days i'd maybe see like a hundred dollars over the course of like four years Mm. (laughs) so now when you actually start seeing like a monthly a small monthly amount it's kind of um not necessarily enticing, but encouraging to actually keep doing it. So it is definitely a, a thing. I'm trying to invest more in my YouTube channel for sure, getting better equipment, um, trying to go to different events that I wouldn't normally go to just so I can sort of not necessarily get content out of it, but show my my subscribers what I'm actually doing. Um, but I do think there is a, a sort of a lore of actually like still being in the military and sort of share my experiences so they can see it in the in my sense of me being uh, a marine, being a soldier, but also seeing what it's like to still be in the military and be able to do all these different things. So I'm hoping I can do some pretty exciting things um, would, in my career. Would there ever come a point where you think your military career might interfere with your um, me- media career? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, there is a big thing when you talk about operational security in the military. You don't want to, you know, talk about too much of your life because you don't want to be a target. And I think relatively, yeah, I'm relatively safe um, as far as talking about that. I don't think I have a whole lot of haters that will try and target me or anything. But there is, there is that, especially when you become more high profile, maybe like a sergeant major, it'll probably be a little bit difficult to run a YouTube channel and be a sergeant major because you know you can have all your soldiers looking at your videos and i don't know it, then you start getting into the politics of being in the military which mm-hmm. i'm not looking forward to the, all the politics of it but i i guess I, maybe i can find out that there is a way to balance both of those things though yeah well i mean you know i'm sure your subs want you to stay on youtube that's for sure yeah for sure i'm definitely going to keep pushing it if if the military's ever pushing me out of YouTube, then I'll probably consider getting out. Mm. So Theo, um, just stay on the line. I'm going to click the record button off in a moment, but before I click the record and I'll chat to you afterwards, just to um, discuss YouTube stuff, (laughs) Uh (laughs) but I'm just going to do my official goodbye. So just hang on the line for a second. Um, So to our friends at home, thank you ever so much for watching another edition of the bought the t-shirt podcast please don't forget to like if you did like and to subscribe um obviously that that's going to really help me to to theo 
Combat Arms Channel. I'm sure we're all going to go and subscribe now. Um, thank you ever so much, mate. Uh, brother, I should say. It's, it's been really enlightening to hear the story from, from across the pond and also, also from Asia. So thank you very much. And of course, likewise. Is there, um, do you have any other social media you want to, to say or, do, or is it mainly your YouTube? I do have my Instagram, but that's pretty pitiful as far as followers. So I don't expect that to get too popular. But yeah, you can go and check that out. There's some pretty interesting What's, stuff. But. I'll, I'll put your name in the description. Do you want to just say what it is on Instagram? Yeah, it's, um, it's uh, combat underscore arms underscore media. So Brilliant. try to keep it generally the same. Great. Thank you, mate. Yeah, thank thank you. you, everybody. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.